0: I'm Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills United Methodist Church. Last week we started our Advent journey together. The second candle lit today though. And uh, we're looking at this beautiful hymn, very theological hymn, written by Charles Wesley, uh, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And this hymn really gets into the details of why uh, Jesus came. And last week, we examined how God had this supernatural plan to intervene and give us redemption and then also adopt us as his children into the family of God. And so in that adoptive relationship, God longs for a very personal and loving relationship in him. He longs for us to be free, to have abundant life in that freedom As a follower of Jesus Christ. And so you caught it there. That reality as Wesley penned the second verse. Born to set thy people free. And so when you look at the manger. You see that baby whom we're going to celebrate. I heard Mark on the way over here say Merry Christmas. And practicing at that. And when we arrive on that day. We can look at the manger and say born. He was born to set me free. And so, I think of all the struggle and, and, and just being in that reality, in that freedom. And God desires for us to be new creations in Christ Jesus, whereby our spiritual nature is led by the Holy Spirit. To where the Holy Spirit rules and reigns over the flesh and that sinful nature. You see, the flesh wants to control. Martin Luther described the flesh as an old mule. It pulls us where it wants to go. It digs in hell-bent on pulling us along. It desires to reign and rears its ugly head from time to time and counters the leading of the Holy Spirit. I know this well. There are sometimes I see the chasm of where I want to be and where I am. I get up in the morning. I see the day as a new promise to do His will, to live in His will, and to love and serve him and others. And so I wake up saying, you know, Jonathan, hey, it's a great opportunity, a great day that you have made, O oh Lord, and I want to live for you. And by the end of the day, I lay down quieting my mind and reflecting on the day and I'll think, why did I say that? Why did I think that? Why did I eat that that late why didn't i exercise and there should haves and there's all these why didn't i and i find myself confessing to god failed obedience seeking forgiveness for falling short and sometimes i feel that old flesh that old mule at work <laughs> oh you know leading me holding me redirecting me and i'm like i want to ride that sucker and tell him where i want to go and say god give me the promptings and lead me the holy spirit Get this mule under control. We become captive to that old flesh and its craving. Freedom is a big deal. It is. We take for granted amazing freedom as we have. Think about it as Americans. Our founding fathers stated that every human has a right to what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. COVID-19 has definitely intruded on that, hasn't it? Put some chains on our way of life. However, for the most part, that's physical freedom. What about spiritual freedom? Which involves will, our will. And there's a bondage to will at times. And Paul knows it. Like we know it. And we see that frustration from the apostle Paul when he writes. And if you look at Romans 7, 19, he says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. How many of us can identify with Paul's struggle and penmanship of writing that down in frustration? Why is that? Why is it so hard to do good we want to do? The Bible has the answer. We are born that way. And they call that, theologians call that original sin. It's a view of of the nature of sin in humanity, which exists from almost the beginning of time. And you see, when God created Adam and Eve, he had communion with them. He walked with them in the cool of the day, and he looked forward to that relationship. However, sin arose from Adam and Eve's disobeying God in Eden. God said, do not eat the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they sinned and they put a chasm between God and them. And because of those physical desires of the flesh leading them into sin, it separated them spiritually from their divine creator. And you see it. It's so easy to spot in those verses. The first thing they did was they had an awareness that the flesh was exposed It's almost like they were embarrassed, and then they ran and they hid from God. And then they began to argue and make excuses against each other and argue with God. You see that that spin, just the ramifications of that. And we've been doing that ever since. Why are we running and hiding from the one person, the only person who can help us? Because we are bent to sin. We are sinners. We don't like to hear that, do we? Or like, oh, pastor, I'm a good person. Constantly do the right thing. Or I try to do the right thing, pastor. Nope. <laughs> Can you just agree with me that it's just not that way? <laughs> wait a second. Just wait. Just wait. We all have that inclination, don't we? That tendency. And that sin comes in all forms and has an effect on all the systems of our lives. And you read the paper and you see things that spin up and you're like, oh, my gosh. Did that really just pop up on my computer as a notification of news. You see, like a car with the wheels out of alignment, it wants we to go into the ditch. That's the truth about human nature. In another Wesley hymn, Love love Divine, All Loves Excelling, verse 3 says, take away our bent towards sinning. And that's a great way to explain it. That's our natural condition apart from God's grace. It's only God's grace that constrains us from doing more evil than what we do. But Jesus came to free us. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he begins with chapter 1. And there's this glorious praise of spiritual blessings that are ours. or for the Ephesians and ours in Christ. And he talks about our adoption... What Christ has done for us. He praises God for this eternal inheritance in the now and in the future. And then in chapter 2, Paul, as if he pauses from that, those lines and lines and lines of praise. He reminds the readers of what their life was like before Christ. Their BC days. He describes it in this way. Verses 1 through 3. As for you... You were once dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in you, are those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest of it, of us, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul reminds the Ephesians that if they were a spiritual reality, that they were once dead to the divine and spiritual things. They followed the way of the world, which is controlled by the ruler of the kingdom of the air and promptings of the flesh, that I spoke about earlier. Paul believed that these forces in the world were at work in them. And we can see it here. This is a letter to us. A person that either lives in a way that's pleasing to God or allows the flesh to rule into corruption once again. And then in verse 4 through 10, he contrasts their former way of life with their new way of life. And this is good news. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ. Even when we are dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show his incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You see, our fleshly dead sin condition was con- absolutely conquered, obliterated by a powerful spiritual resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it all happened through the grace of God, through the loving love of God that initiated that powerful, amazing thing. Paul is saying our chains and bondage in sin was defeated through that. The dead was made alive, regenerated. I love Clinton Arnold. He's a a great theologian. He writes for uh, commentaries for Sondervan, And in his commentary in Ephesians, he writes the phrase made alive is a very important concept in the New Testament. He says in the Greek language, it literally means God's action toward us in securing our freedom. It means that this act is a completed act. As opposed to it's something ongoing or to be obtained in the future, he said it is a completed act that happened at the resurrection. Regeneration is to be made alive in Christ by the same power and alive when Christ resurrected from the dead. Grave clothes had fallen off on him. Victory was proclaimed, and it is ours for it is ours to obtain. And it was the first action. Of love by God, after the cross it 's the miracle of being born again, the rescue of God, where He brings us spiritually from dead to life in may one thousand nine hundred and ninety one I was on a retreat a college first college age chrysalis retreat in Pickle, Ohio. I became a Christian on a Friday night after a prodigal talk, and I was praying at an altar. By Dan Broderick, and Dan led me to Christ and helped me understand what Christ had done for me. And I put my life, my trust, my faith in Christ's hands. I really wanted to be transformed, I wanted to live a new life in Him. The next morning on the retreat, I vividly remembered something happened, and I just literally threw out a cuss bomb. The Queen Mother of all words, you know what I'm saying, and the leaders on the retreat were like, "Dude, you, you, didn't you just become a Christian last night?" And, uh, and I was so embarrassed. Finally, I said, "Sorry, guys, I'm just really totally new to this." And I remember one leader; his name was Ed Wilson. He lives in he lives in Sharonville, and Ed's pretty up there in years. Hopefully, Ed. Oh, you're young, Ed, if you're watching. He smiled. And he just gave me the most gracious hug. You see, when I first came to faith, some of these habits, yeah, they, they, some of those habits dissolved and slowly went away as I, I read God's word and I was obedient to the direction of the Holy Spirit. But like Paul, it says these cravings of the flesh, this stubborn mule constantly is there and is there raising its ugly head and wants to lead. And there's tension, there's daily tension. And I know that I'm not perfect, and God's not done with me yet on this side of heaven. You know the tension, don't you? I'm sure you do. You know the struggle. So why does this happen? How does this happen? Shouldn't Christians be immune from this? If Jesus sets us free, why do sincere believers still struggle? You know, we bring a lot of baggage with us. Things from our past, habits, hurts, hangups, and and baggage can be frustrating, you know, <laughs> frustrating, very frustrating. This stuff that uh, this baggage makes us make bad decisions or not guided by wisdom and discernment by our own self will, our passions, and we're drawn into the influence of the flesh and those earthly ways. It, just, it seems like gravity is not the only thing pulling on us. This earth is pulling on us, trying to get us to do these earthly ways and rhythms. But when we become believers, it doesn't end our bent to sinning. We still battle with it. The good news is not only God wants to save us, the second part of the, of the, of the gospel is God wants to transform us. And I can't wait till January. There's an incredible uh, series that we're going to look at. God wants to change us. Sanctification. Verse 8 is one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. If you haven't memorized it, you should. Paul writes, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Grace is one of the most important words in the Bible. And the Greek word for grace is charis. It means gift. Grace is so misunderstood. It's not bowing ahead at mealtime. Grace is constantly active. It's relational. It's that parental love. And it's God relating to us in ways of transformation as well. Not just grace is forgiveness when we give our lives to Christ. Grace is still active in our lives to empower us to live. Not by the promptings of the flesh but by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Grace is the God-given ability to lead a different life. It's something we don't deserve or earn. And by the way, it is a free gift. We talk about it in, in, as Methodists, three big graces. There's some of them in between. You know, we're methodical in the way we look at the Bible. We see prevenient grace that experience before we're even aware of God. We see God's love wooing us into relationship. It's God, that that incredible puppy of heaven, pursuing us and convincing us that he exists and he loves us and wants to be with us. And convincing us also of our need to be awakened to the spiritual realities that he has for us in that realm of the abundant life and the inheritance of these amazing attributes and characteristics of of Jesus Christ, convincing us also that we are sinners and we do need him and to do his will. And he tells us the truth about ourselves and lovingly leads us to repentance, which is an incredible pivot point in to saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. We find that Christ himself said, no one comes to the Father unless drawn by me. We don't save ourselves. God is looking for us to save us. He's seeking us. He's seeking you. The second grace is justifying grace. In in justifying grace, it means saying yes to this relationship that he desires to have with us. That love meets us. In Jesus Christ at the cross, and we see that love and that chains come falling off because of what he's done through us by giving his life, his body broken, his love, his blood shed for us. And that blood applied, and we see it, and we say yes to that love, and we experience that forgiveness, and we are born again into new life. But there's more. Like I said, there's a second half of the gospel. A lot of Christians don't understand this. They simply stop there and seem to be stuck in their Christian life and they sometimes just fall away. There's more beyond that. We believe in sanctifying grace, that sanctification happens, the work of God not leaving us frustrated. God in his love wants to renew us day by day to where we have incredible abundant life and victory over the compulsions of the flesh. We are a new man, new woman, led by the Holy Spirit and become holy as our divine God is holy. Whereby we easily love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And we experience that holy freedom that God gives us. And God desires to do that in you and in me. It doesn't leave us half done or half baked. You ever been into a half-baked bun? no god doesn't want to leave us half-baked god wants us to be nourishment to ourselves and through him and his nourishment nourishment to the world and all three of these are essential to the spiritual life so what do we do how do we experience this help and get this freedom from sin first we admit we have a problem it begins by admitting we have a problem It's like that in life recovery, in addiction recovery. We admit that there is a problem. Houston, we have a problem, and we need something to fix that. And the problem is going to lead to some bad stuff if we let it go or remain in it. Therefore, don't wait. This is not something that you do tomorrow admitting the problem or next week or next month or 2021. Today is the day we claim it. Stop procrastinating, stop postponing. The longer you wait, really the harder it is to admit you have a problem. The person who really wants to change finds a way. The person who doesn't want to change change, always finds an excuse. And sometimes those excuses cause blame of others as to why we have a problem. My spouse, my bo- the boss, the devil, the go- God, or this person, or this person. To break free, we have to assume responsibility for our own spiritual life. And the pursuit of freedom. And we have to take personal inventory as well. How long have I had this problem? When and where am I tempted most? To change, I have to stop pretending I can't cover up my faults. I once heard of a man who was an alcoholic. And he talked about the fact that when he was on his way home, his truck would always steer itself into the bar. And his sponsor said, take another road home, man. (laughs) You see, you have a problem. (laughs) And then... Part of the the next step is surrendering your will. You must have complete surrender of your will. You must get into the positive habit, habit of claiming and doing not my will, God, but thy will. The one who loves you is waiting to help you. You need power greater than yourself to change. And so surrender is all about that. You can't do it on your own power. God will do it. If God raised Jesus Christ from the dead... He surely has the power to help us and give us the power to beat the habits, hurts, and hang-ups, addictions, and tendencies of the flesh. And God wants us to live in that victory. We can be controlled by other people, food, pride, anger, lust, you name it, or we can be God-controlled. Total surrender is hard in the beginning. It is. But how do we get to Carnegie Hall? Practice. And within those practices, the third thing is we need others. It helps when you have healthy people. And I say healthy people intentionally healthy people around you. You can't do it alone. Ecclesiastes 4 9 and 10. Two are better than one because together one of them falls down and the other can help him up. You need support. We need trustworthy friends that will care and encourage and keep our lives on track. And when it gets hard, those people will spur us on to continue that life in the Spirit. The early Methodist movement, John Wesley formed small men and women's groups called BANDS, B-A-N-D-S. Three to five people. They met on a weekly basis to help each other grow deeper. Recently, I invited four men who are all prior military, like me, to begin a band of brothers. And we're calling it 3D, discipline, dis- Discipline, discipleship, devotion. Anderson Hills has a vision of bands being started as a part of God desiring us to go deeper in Him. And so, the vision of these bands is going to happen. You'll see it, and I just pray that you'll... That you will join one. I wanna I want you to catch just some deeper incredible victory in this in this chapter as I round third and head for home to communion here. Verse six, chapter two. Did you catch it? It says And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I plucked this from Mark Rowland's manuscript because he consulted with Pete Dongell about this verse. And Pete is a, is a wonderful the, theology professor. And here's what we all think as we see this, and I agree. Paul doesn't use this phrase in any other letter but Ephesians. He uses it five times, so there's something really important for us to understand. And it is this that we have new and eternal position in the heavens. We rule with Christ in our lives. All the blessings of this cosmic victory of Christ is now ours. We who have faith in Christ have already won since Christ has been victorious in his resurrection. We who have faith in Christ have already won since he is victorious. And no matter what happens here, no matter what the headache, to COVID, to death, you don't have to worry because Christ's victory has already been done and exalted and claimed. And it never ends. And that's our inheritance. We can't lose. He wants the readers to know that there's power to change, to share in the power and the blessings that he has given us. And if we really get this into our bones, we can be victorious over sin in our lives. Paul is claiming that we share in the victory. And can you imagine if we really took this serious in my life, in our lives? You know, change is long. Change is hard. Change is slow. But if we want to be free in the life God has given or has intended us to live, we have to start to practice and believe the second.